running a little late, so. Thought I'd give a little bit of extra time for people to get down here. How's everybody? Okay. Is it your birthday, Jake? Yeah. Happy birthday, Jake. He, him and Kristen share a birthday. Can't you tell me? I don't necessarily encourage public singing of birthdays, so we'll skip that. Um, yeah. Good to be here. So I imagine people will keep trickling in. Um, this is the. Uh, things that are coming up this month. So we want to just keep in front of you events that are happening uh, throughout the body so that you're aware of what's going on. Um, updates and all that kind of stuff are live. Uh, they get changed and whatnot. It, sometimes locations or times have to change. So uh, gbclive.org backslash central is the place where you want to go for that. Um, but this is just to sort of like catch your attention. Like if there's something there that jumps out at you that you want to take a part in. Um, there is still the weekly Saturday morning prayer for the leadership uh, process. So they're meeting every Saturday morning. I don't think that's on here anymore. Um, but that is still happening. And uh, just lots of different things happening. So um, lots of different ways to serve, lots of ways to plug in. So um, just wanted you guys to be aware of those things. So we are gospel roots here this morning this is continuation of the healthy church series uh, which has been uh, a process over the course of a couple of years here and this section that we're in right now is leading one another uh, which i found to be um, pretty good it's been it's been good to sort of like take a moment and and look at some of this stuff um, so I haven't been here the last two weeks. I got to hear uh, Brian and Scott's messages the last two weeks. So that was it was good to hear um, just the teaching on the elders and, and what the Bible actually says about those things. So this week we're going to be talking about deacons. Uh, my name is Sean, in case anybody here is unaware of that. And uh, why don't we pray? Let's pray to get started. Dear Lord, as we gather here today uh, as your people um, just grateful so encouraging to gather with your body and to see how you work in people's lives and how you draw together your people uh, from so many different places and you work in ways that are simply amazing to us and I just pray that as we open your word today that we can See what uh, you you have to say about uh, this leadership model for your church and how that flows out uh, to function. And we just pray that um, we can orient the way that we see and do things uh, to what is truth based on your words. And I just pray that you will uh, continue to work in our hearts. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we will be talking specifically about deacons, um, which 
I feel like we need to start with what is a deacon? So, what do you think? What's a deacon? What does that mean? Servant. Specific servant? Helping pastors. Okay. Servants helping pastors. Anybody else have any thoughts? Someone who takes on administrative tasks for the church family. Okay. Administrative tasks. Do they have in their heart a desire to serve? So I think, um, how about like what do, what do deacons do? Like functionally, what's what's their role? Do they have like specific things that they need to do? Is it like a generalized thing? carry out day-to-day tasks. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying specifically though? I mean that that's that's a good overview. What's that? I heard something like oh. so they help elders in day-to-day tasks. I feel like maybe you're reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> um so I think when I, when I looked at this sort of made me question, like, where do I even come up with the idea of what I think a deacon is? Um, Because I entered into this with a framework of, like, my experiences, like things that I had heard and seen and churches I've been a part of, and I sort of shared week one how, like, I grew up in the church and, like, I had ideas of the way that the church functioned, but it was mostly based on my experiences and not necessarily, like, what Scripture actually says. So when I get to those parts of scripture, sometimes I'm not super enthralled and I don't necessarily feel like this is something I wanna really dig into. It doesn't feel like it's super relevant to me, Um, but it is something where I think when we actually take the time to look at these things, we gotta wrestle with it a little bit. Like how much of this is like stuff that I've just experienced and how much is it like what the Bible actually says about what a deacon's supposed to be. So, I would encourage you to try and wrestle with some of the texts that we're going to work through. Um, you've heard us use the observe, interpret, apply thing before, but like, but like observing what is actually written in the text, interpreting it with the context of what's actually there, and then letting what we do flow out of that, I think is, is a healthy biblical model of um, us being obedient to, to what God's model is. So I think that's something that, that we as individuals need to sort of wrestle with a little bit. Um, and we, we may have already done some of that with the elder stuff. Like, like we sort of joked around week one that like, like elders like sort of feels like just old people. Um, but it's like, that's actually like a biblical term. 
and like that idea of elder and overseer and like who those people are and what they do and um, how that functions and helps the health of the body and uh, potentially hinders the body when it doesn't function correctly, I think is, is what we're starting to sort of like have to work through. So um, when we see what the text actually says, hopefully that's something that will then work out in, um, we'll start to functionally want to change how we're doing things so that um, we live more in a way that is following that model. So our main idea today, which if you have a handout, is on there. Uh, Deacons are to serve the church by caring for its practical needs and freeing up the elders to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, which is what Laura said. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of different functional ways that that can sort of play out and we'll we'll sort of talk about that a little bit later on Um, but I think the key here is um, that they're serving the church and caring for practical stuff uh, so things that are just day-to-day tasks um, that then assist the elders to do their job so we were talking a lot about that the last two weeks and now we're going to talk about like how do the deacons fit into that model and how do they work together so our text that we're starting with is Acts 6. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, um, this is a continuation of Luke's uh, writings. So Luke wrote the book of Luke, surprisingly. Um, And then Acts is sort of the sequel to that. So this is, uh, it actually starts with Jesus's ascension and then uh, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and then the church starts to grow. So that's sort of like the first five chapters. And then we pick up in in, uh, chapter 6 here. So now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what we're seeing here in in chapter 6 is, as the church continued to grow, some conflicts and problems started to pop up. Now, what we're hoping to do is, as we walk through this passage, work together on what do we actually see in here. So um, the first question on your handout there is, what's the problem facing the church in Jerusalem in this passage?
the widows were neglected. So apparently there's in this time um, a distribution of food that goes out to the widows that the church is actually orchestrating. And the Hellenists, which I had no idea what that was, were the Greek women. Uh, so this is like, now think about where we are in church history, like the, the, the Greeks and the Jews are now starting to like come to church together. And there's a little bit of like tension in that relationship just because of some of the history there. Um, but the, they didn't say anything about the Jew widows being neglected, just, just the Greek ones. So um, there's a little bit of tension there, but this is like a function that the church is carrying out. This is one of the things that they do to serve uh, the body. And some of those people were not being, um, getting what they were supposed to get. Uh, so why do you think they weren't getting met? Any ideas? Think rations were low? Does it give you any ideas? And just the conflict between Jew and Gentile? Yeah, I think a little bit of it is the conflict. But you get a little bit of the idea, especially in verse 2, like... It seems like, functionally, like it's becoming a bigger task to try and carry out serving tables. So like, like that was something that when there was just a handful of them, that wasn't such a big deal. But now that it's growing and multiplying, they need some extra hands to be able to help carry that out. So I think there's a little bit of like a tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, but I think there's a little bit of the... Um, Functionally, like the multiplication is actually becoming a little bit of a, like we need some help here because we can't we can't teach the word and serve the tables like it's getting to be a lot. All right, number two. What was the apostles' solution to the problem? What do they do? Yeah, they picked a couple of them. They were like, all right, so we got this body of people here. Let's pick some of them to try and help with some of these tasks. So specifically, seven men. What kind of men did they pick for this task? Good reputation. Good? Good reputation? Full of the Spirit. I feel like that would be a tough one to objectively evaluate. <laughs> Apparently Stephen had that because they said he did. Yeah, so, I mean, they had character that reflected God. So it was, it was more about their character and... Um, the way they sort of handled themselves that made them of a reputation that would be suitable for this role. So why did the 12 delegate this task? Yeah, I mean, this one's pretty clear. So... They needed to devote themselves to prayer and preaching, teaching of the word. 
So like this task, which is not necessarily a bad thing, wasn't bad that they were serving tables and that, that they were trying to distribute food to the widows, but it was becoming a bigger task than what they could take on and still give the time needed for the teaching and the prayer that they felt like they needed to devote themselves to. So in this passage, that group of seven people are a safeguard to the church. They were protecting the church from one of the greatest threats, which is false teaching. So this group of people functioned in a way that strengthens the body by serving the church and allowing the elders to teach and devote themselves to prayer. And then we see in verse 7, like, what's God's response to this? Like, more people growing in faith, and, like, the church is blessed by this. Like, seeing the body functioning in a way that allows them to prioritize teaching of the word and have members of the body functionally carrying out those tasks to help them um, <clears throat> was a blessing. It was it was functionally a way for the for the body to be able to do more um, with the with the resources and people that they had. So the term deacon, which you won't see in this passage, comes from the Greek word diakonos. I have no idea if I say that right. Doesn't matter. It's Greek. If you're studying Greek, you can correct me later. So it actually means servant, and there's, there's many different ways that that term is used, um, but specifically, one of the ways that it's used is, is in this passage, which is to serve tables. So Luke doesn't specifically appoint in this passage the role of deacon, um, but he records a practical situation in the very early church where this role was becoming needed. It was critical. It was, it was a point at which they needed to do something because it was starting to cause a problem within the body. The word was going to be sacrificed. The priority of being able to handle all those tasks was becoming more of a challenge. So this, this role was needed. So what we see in this model that's being set up is that elders were leading the ministry. They were the ones that were like prioritizing the preaching and the prayer and the teaching of the word. And the deacons were helping to facilitate the ministry. And then the congregation is able to carry out the ministry. So everybody does service. Like that's not a, that's a Jesus following thing. That's not a, just a deacon thing. Um, but the deacons are the ones that are supposed to be directing and helping to facilitate carrying out some of those tasks of the body. So deacon is actually only mentioned two or three times in the New Testament, depending on your translation. Uh, one of them, it's just mentioned at the beginning of uh, Philippians. Uh, and much of the role is more just 
functionally seeing how the body works together, um, which is similar to membership. We don't really specifically have texts that talk about membership, but we see the functional application of membership throughout scripture. Um, and one of the main passages where deacons are actually specifically talked about and in, in, um, some of the details about it is in 1 Timothy 3, which is where we're gonna go next. So this is actually following the text that we talked through last week. Scott was going over the qualifications for elders and um, we went step by step through each one of those, which there was a lot of. Um, and the qualifications for elders um, were in the passage right above this. So following that, 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8, it says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. <coughs> okay. Lots of stuff here. So, we're going to work through this stuff a little bit. Um, I'm not going to go through each one of the individual qualifications. I feel like Scott sort of talked through some of those things last, last time. And they're, they're similar kind of framework. Um, but what I do want to ask you is... Um, how would you summarize? Like, what word or phrase would you use to sort of summarize those characteristics? Like, what, what kind of picture do they paint for a deacon in this passage? Humble. Humble. That's a good word. Upright. Upright. Mature leader. Any other words come to mind about their character? <clears throat> Faithful. Faithful. Sorry, what was that? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. That was one of mine. I like that one. You see, like characteristics like self-control. Integrity. <clears throat> Their conduct is admirable. They're truthful. Any other words come to mind? I feel like that's a pretty good list. Why do you think Paul says that they must be tested? before they serve. What do you think that means? They're the front door? Yeah. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, before they like go to listen to the word, if they're 
not in the right mind, then chaos could happen. Okay. <laughs> other ideas why they need to be tested if they're new and you know they can say you can say all sorts of stuff how you are but they have to actually see how they perform sort of do your actions back up what you're saying Okay, genuine in their belief. I think that speaks to the importance of the role as well. Um, if, if that role functionally is to guard against division and promote and preserve unity, then it can still be really, really helpful or really, really hurt depending mm -hmm. on Yeah, that sort of gives an idea of how important their role is. They're being tested when they are serving as deacons, so probably a good idea to be tested. Oh, that's a, good, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Like, in that role, you're going to experience some challenges, so it's good for you to sort of, like, make sure that you can weather those storms before you're in the role. That's a good point. I would like to point out that I am neither a deacon nor an elder. I'm just a <laughs> regular person. <laughs> because I don't know Greek. That was in the, that was in the qualifications. Um, so yeah, I think I think we sort of touched on a couple aspects of this. Um, this idea that like these people are going to be sort of the front lines uh, they're going to be in situations that are challenging and sticky and there's going to be times where they need to step in um, and potentially uh, defend the elders or um, have conversations that are are challenging um, they might you need them to be trustworthy and people of good integrity when they're handling the resources of the body. So, I mean, we've seen times in scripture where that went sideways. So like there are, there are places where they're going to be in a role where they need to be able to be handed responsibility and tasks and not have to be constantly monitored. But you want quality people, you want godly characters in that role. So, um, they're potentially going to find themselves in situations where, especially if you think about functionally, if they're meeting with, they're distributing food and stuff to widows and helping poor and lowly, like there's going to be some vulnerability. Like, like you want people that are not going to take advantage of people or, or situations. Um, so having good godly character in that role, I think is one reflects well for the body. Um, but also, Somebody mentioned like them being sort of the doorway or the front lines. Um, that is like they're out there interacting with people. And that that may be a lot of the interaction that people have with the body so or the church. And um, those may present great opportunities to 
share the gospel and um, be the hands and feet that actually show how following Christ plays out in day-to-day life. So um, just so many like real examples of uh, how this this uh, group of people can help the body of the church. Uh, number seven, what is present in the qualifications of elders that is not required for deacons? So in verses 11 and 12, we see the management of the family again um, as a good indicator of qualities of integrity and self-control and managing their household well. Um, so it sort of seems like, man, there's a lot of similarities between deacons and elders. Um, what do you see that's different? So hopefully you actually have your Bible open because I don't have it up there. Um, but the elders passage is right above this. Or maybe you remember. Teach God's word. Teach God's word. That's one of the big ones. So in 1 Timothy 3, 2, um, they specifically pointed out that elders need to be able to teach. That is not a requirement for deacons. It's not that deacons can't teach. It just means that they don't have to be able to serve in that role. Um, that is not one of the qualifications. Anything else? So in verses 4 and 5, he actually says a phrase like, um, how will they lead the church when he's speaking of elders? And he's talking about like how they manage their households. So like there's this role sort of distinguishing that they are the leaders, the, the spiritual leadership of the body, um, and the deacons are more the facilitating uh, tasks. So um, they're not, they not necessarily... A, in a leading role of the spiritual leadership of the body, um, primarily in the functional task. So what do you think this tells us about the responsibilities and the function of how deacons and elders work together? What do you think? Elders and deacons need to have the same vision. They work closely together. They're dependent on each other. If, I don't know why symbiotic relationship comes into my head. I feel like that's an animal thing. Yeah. I think of like whales and there's a thing that like eats the plankton off the whale or something like that. Um, I was thinking of caddy with the golfer. Okay, there you go. Caddy, caddy and a golfer. There you go. I like it, yeah. That's, I feel like that's, that's probably a little bit better. Uh, I'm not the illustration guy. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we see like a picture of how those two offices are, 
are, we see very similar characteristics about them, um, how they work together, how their function um, is dependent on each other. Um, the elders are going to be inhibited to do their job if the deacons aren't carrying out some of those tasks. And, and the deacons, if they're trying to, to lead the church, create confusion. Um, so there's, there's a bunch of different scenarios where, like, if, if those roles aren't functionally working well together, um, the body suffers in those situations. So I have some... I don't actually have my book up here, but that book in the back, it's called Deacons, um, cleverly named, is all about deacons. So uh, there's lots of good examples in that book of um, functionally, how these roles fit together, how do they play out. Um, and in his conclusion, he, he used a couple um, different texts to sort of like, like, what does this look like? So I sort of wanted to walk through some of those things because I think functionally um, this is encouraging. Uh, and maybe you're thinking, man, I sort of like, I functionally want to be able to help the body and, and sort of you can do these things. You can function as a deacon without the title of a deacon. And there are, there are potentially opportunities moving forward for you to serve in this way. So um, I think if, if you're, anywhere in that spectrum I think it's good for us to sort of look at scripture and and see like how does let me just go there it feels like a like a random obscure like tiny little part of passage and I don't want to make like a huge deal about it but I think functionally deacons have a huge role in the body and, and how they work together um, you are serving the body of Christ, and I think that can't be minimized. So uh, one of the passages is Mark 10. So Mark 10 is where James and John are sort of like fighting over who's the greatest. And that's one of the, like, man, that's awkward situations. And Jesus steps in in verse 42, and he says, And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in the world, you're great, if people were serving you. But Jesus paints this picture in his kingdom where the great ones are the ones that are serving. So as deacons, you're serving the body of Christ as a leader, and you're giving of yourself in that service. You are there to free up the, the elder, pastor, overseer, to prioritize his teaching and his prayer, which is huge in the health of the body. John 13. So we know the beginning of John 13 is uh, the washing of the disciple or yeah, washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus. 
Um, and then in verse 12, after he does this, Jesus um, has a little teaching for them. So in verse 12, he says, or the Bible says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So we see Jesus, God-man, king of the universe, humble himself and wash the disciples' feet. And he didn't just wash the feet of those that were going to praise his name later on, he washed the feet of the one who would betray him, the one that would deny him, and all the other disciples who forsake him. When you perform seemingly minor, insignificant tasks, you're actually reflecting the image of your Savior. You love the body and the lowly just the way Jesus did. So at the end of his uh, sort of conclusion chapter, uh, the author, Matt Smethurst, has a couple words for deacons. I just want to read those to you. So deacon, lift up your eyes from the mundane to the Messiah. See him touching unclean hands and washing filthy feet and serving ungrateful sinners and finally relinquishing his life for those he loves. The entire shape of diaconal service finds this model and its mission in the life of your Savior. Deacon, your office has an expiration date, but your status as the king's servant will never end. Why would it? Life in his service is perfect freedom. Your current role as deacon is just an internship for an eternal future in which you will see his face together with all his servants, world without end. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his <coughs> servants will worship him. Revelation 22.3 May Jesus, the ultimate diaconos, return in glory soon. Just feel like that's super powerful like that model of who jesus is how he demonstrated what it looks like to be a servant 
to the body and how deacons become a reality of that. What an awesome picture. So, how does a biblical deacon model practically function in the church body? I just want you to pause and think about that for a second. <clears throat> there are lots of ways, potentially infinite ways. If you notice, there wasn't a list of tasks for deacons to do. It wasn't defined. It's characteristics, it's an attitude, and functionally, they're there to serve the body, assist the elders, and create unity. So there's three sort of like main categories of things that I would say all of their tasks fit under. They meet tangible needs, they promote church unity, and they assist the elders. And that plays out in a lot of different ways. As a body of Christ, we need people with godly character to serve in a way that reflects the heart of the Savior and a love for his people. I would encourage you to read the book back there. Um, if you want like real life example stuff, there's actually a whole section of like uh, pastors who wrote in and said how deacons like functionally um, helped in times of conflict, in unity, in carrying out functional tasks. Chapter five. Chapter five, apparently. So there's there's so much here as far as like how that can actually can work um, and you may already be doing some of those things and and in that way I would just encourage you like continue to serve like serving is part of following Jesus you are reflecting the image of our Savior and that can't be minimized at any time so our main idea deacons are to serve the church by caring for its practical needs and freeing up the elders to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. So next week, we'll be talking about your responsibility for the church and the leadership. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the picture of Jesus and how his love for his people and his humility are the image that we see in our body when we serve one another. I thank you for godly people in our body who love you and sacrifice of themselves to serve your body. I pray for unity in our body. I pray for us to have hearts that are humble 
and that we can care for and serve one another in a way that brings you honor and glory. But I pray as we continue to gather here this morning and we sing your praises, we can experience and enjoy the reality of being in the body of Christ. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.